Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The scripture reading for today comes from John 18, 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when they said to him, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way, to fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this time of worship, Lord just reflecting and meditating on who you are, God. I pray that as the word is brought forth, Lord, that our ears would be ready to hear, our hearts would be ready, ready to receive, God, and that we would be ready to walk differently, to live differently after receiving this word. Lord, we give you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? We good? Good, good, good. So today we start week three of our Behold the Man sermon series. This is our Easter sermon series, and each week we have been looking at one character in the, the passion of Jesus, in Jesus' road to the cross. We've looked at one character, and we've seen at what truth about Jesus can we learn from that character? The first week we looked at Peter, last week we looked at the character of Judas, and now this week we turn our attention to perhaps one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. Uh, I know that I say this every single week, uh, but it's true. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You're going to hear that about everything I preach from. The Bible is so good, right? right? That's how, that's how we want to feel about the Bible when we open it, that every story is our favorite story. But this is really such a good story, and I can still remember the first time that I read this. I'm a little embarrassed to say, but I had read my Bible in a year a couple of times. I've read the Gospel of John a bunch of times, and I still remember the first time that this story hit me. It's incredible that I had read this story a handful of times, and it never hit me. 
what's going on in this story. But, but if we step back and we read it and we absorb everything that's happening here, there really is something incredible. It is such a powerful story about the person of Jesus, right? We see this flex from Jesus in this story, and we'll get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But let's start with the summary. What can we learn from G- about Jesus through the eyes of the Roman cohort? And this is what we see. We see, maybe, doggone, it's doing it to me again. Technology, right? We'll get it one of these days. There we go. So through the eyes of the Roman cohort, we learn these three things about Jesus. We learn the truth about who Jesus is not. We learn the truth about who Jesus is. And then we learn the truth about our response to Jesus, what our response has to be when we grapple with those two other things. So first, let's look at this first point. Who Jesus is not. All right? Now, this is a new wrinkle. I've, I, like I said, I've read this story a bunch of times. I love it. It's one of my favorites. But this is a new one. As I was preparing for this sermon series, as I was going down and I was kind of jotting down an outline of who are some different characters that we could look at during this sermon series, this is one of the first things that the Holy Spirit hit me with. And I had never really looked at it this way before, but this is something that, that he threw out there. And it is super convicting if we let it be right? Now, now we talked about this last week with Judas, but the difference between conviction and condemnation, right? Judas felt remorse after he had betrayed Jesus, but then Judas allowed that remorse to become condemnation, because condemnation, in the words of Jack Hayford, condemnation pushes us away from God. But the other option we can do when, we're, when, when something hits us, when we're shown the truth about something and we've been walking in a lie, is we can allow conviction to hit us. We can allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. And what that conviction does is it draws us closer to Jesus. I like Pastor Tim Keller. He, he likens it to a surgeon. You know, a surgeon who does surgery, like, yes, if you have cancer or something like that, a surgeon will cut you, right? Now, you don't normally walk up to your friends and say, like, hey, could you please cut me with a knife? It feels so good, right? If you do, you may need to see a counselor. But we don't normally do that. But we allow a surgeon to cut us with knowing that they are cutting us to heal us. That's what conviction is. Conviction is cutting to heal. So if we allow the Holy Spirit to cut us, we have assurance that he's cutting us to heal us, not cutting us to hurt us. So if we allow this to sink in, we learn a great truth about who Jesus is not, and we learn an even greater truth about, because of this, how we are not to approach Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's look at this. It tells us, Judas, having received the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to him, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Pause. Look at what the Roman soldiers are doing. It seems kind of obvious, right? They're coming to the Garden of Gethsemane to capture Jesus, right? They've got torches, they've got lanterns, they've got weapons, just in case anybody decides to put up a fight. 
but they are coming to capture Jesus. Duh, that's their job, right? Here's where I'm going to get you, though, the left hook. How many of us approach Jesus the same way? Come on, somebody. How many of us approach Jesus to capture him? Approach Jesus knowing exactly who it is we're looking for. Not who he is. Come on. Now, we talked about this with Judas, right? Somewhere along the lines, Judas had an idea of who Jesus was, right? All of those times you hear, it's, it's all about relationship. It's not about religion. It's just relationship. Judas had a relationship, right? But he had an, a relationship with an idea of who Jesus was. Then religion came in and said, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, Judas. This is the truth about who Jesus is. This is why we need doctrine. This is why we need theology to tell us the truth of who Jesus is. But it came in and it said, you're walking with the wrong guy because Judas, he's with the Roman cohort, right? Judas came to capture Jesus. Judas approached Jesus with an idea of who Jesus was in his head. And Jesus says, that's not me. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not your cosmic errand boy. You don't get to go to him. We've, we've talked about the genie in a bottle Jesus, right? You rub the lamp, you give your wishes, and Jesus, poof, makes them come true. That is not who he is. And so many times, Christians today approach Jesus to capture him. Approach him as a cosmic errand boy, as a genie in a bottle. This is who I want Jesus to be. But we can't. We can't do this through religion, and we can't do this through relationship. And here's the deal, we do both, right? This is actually the problem that most people have with religion. When people say they don't like religion, well, I don't like that religious stuff. I don't like that doctrine and theology. What, what they're saying, we even sang a song about it today, right? Break down the walls of all my religion, right? I don't dislike that lyric, okay? Because we can't approach Jesus religiously and try to force him into a box. God is too big for boxes, y'all, right? And that tends to be our problem is that when we come at Jesus with religion and we come at him thinking, well, I know everything there is to know about Jesus because I, wrote the, I read this book by J.I. Packer that told me everything I need to know about God. God can't fit into that box. Don't try to fit him into that box. That's the beef that we have with religion. True religion, true theology, true doctrine cannot capture God. We can't put walls around him. False religion tries to tell you that it can. False religion tries to tell you God will never move this way. God will never work through someone like that. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again contradictions to those God will nevers. Doesn't it? So we've got to keep our doctrine humble. But we do the same thing with religion, or I'm sorry, with relationship. In relationship, we just flip it the other way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So he has to do everything I want. 
Now, it, it sounds a little snooty when you put it that way, but come on, that's what we do, right? Well, Jesus doesn't have to like me, but because of his covenant with me, he has to do what I want. Mm-mm. He doesn't, though. And we turn relationship into the exact same thing we hate about religion. And the answer to both of these things is the same. How do we cure it? Well, it's easy because it's the same problem. Pride is the problem in both of these. If we approach religion, doctrine, theology, pridefully, which says, I know best, we're going to fall. But the same thing happens if I approach my relationship pridefully. So what's the answer? How do we reverse pride? Humility, right? If I walk with a humble religion, if I walk with a humble doctrine, with a humble theology, this says, look, I know these great truths about God, but all truth is the Holy Spirit's. It's not mine. And since it's the Holy Spirit's, it's not my job to defend it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to defend his truth. That's humble doctrine. Guys, that's the, kind of the, that's the kind of religion the world wants right now, is a humble religion, but the same thing with relationship, right? Yes, Jesus loves me, and I will never understand it because I'm not worthy of it, but he does, and so I will walk humbly with him every single day, not with a fantasy of who I want him to be, because I acknowledge right now that his ways are always better than mine that no matter who he reveals himself to be, he will always be better than my wildest dreams. And so I'm going to let him be. That's my relationship. I'm going to let him be better. I'm not going to try to fit him into a box relationally or religiously. I'm going to let him be. But too many Christians today approach Jesus to capture him. Too many Christians, whether it's religion or whether it's relationship, we approach Jesus to get what we want. I heard a teaching a while ago. Uh, I don't remember who it was from, but uh, it was actually about Moses. Uh, in the book of Exodus, early on, Moses, uh, he just left Egypt. He's, you know, shepherding out in the desert, and he sees this burning bush. And he's like, whoa, that bush is burning, but it's not burning. What's going on? And so he walks over there, and this voice starts talking to him and says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt, deliver the Israelites, you know, I'm, I'm God, by the way, I'm going to move through you. So he's, okay, that's weird. Uh, but like, Lord, how, how, how are these people, like, I, I know these Israelites, they're stubborn people. Uh, I'm about to find that out firsthand. But how am, how am I supposed to convince them to follow me? I'm, I'm not eloquent. I can't, can't do much. How, how are they going to convince? So he says, you tell them, I am sent you. So that's, that's God's name. And so there's this teaching I heard that said, God calls himself I am because he is whatever you need him to be in any circumstance or situation. And it sounds so good, right? We can put it on t-shirts and Twitter and, and it does cool things and people love it. But ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't change based on my situation, Right? But this is what we do when we approach Jesus in the garden. We say, Jesus, I need you to be, right? We even have, you know, the, the uber charismatic churches, they bust out when you can tell it's really getting heavy when they bust out the Jehovah's. And we call on Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And we just call him what we want him to be, right? 
I don't want you to be Jesus today. I want you to be Frank. Hey, Frank, could you come on over? And so we just call him what we want him to be. Don't we? That's capturing Jesus. That's going to the garden to capture him. And we can't do it. God says, I am, because God is all you need. Look, I don't care what your circumstances are. This is, now, this isn't, this isn't, God doesn't care about your circumstances. Don't go that way, all right? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, if you will just seek me, you will find that I am all that you need. You don't need provision. You don't need healing. You don't need protecting. You need me. And I will provide those things after you come to me. But don't come to the provision. Don't come to the healing. Come to I am. Come to him because he is enough. We've got to get that down in our spirit. Because we, just like the Roman soldiers, come to Jesus with an idea of what we need from him first. Now look, can I be real honest with y'all? I'm going to be anyway, whether you say yes or no. I always hate it when preachers ask that question, and I just did it. I came to Jesus like that. I started my walk with Jesus. I said, Lord Jesus, if you will just get this girl, Jana Jubilee Robison, to go out on a date with me, I just want one date, and if you will do it, I will walk with you the rest of the days of my life. That's, that's not flattering, is it? Guys, that's how I came to Jesus. I gave my heart to the Lord the summer of 2021, or I'm sorry, 2001. <laughs> 2000, woo! Yeah, whoops. Y'all didn't know you were following a pastor like that, did you? 2001, I came to the Lord, and guys, I went to church that night to impress my wife. That's the only reason I went. I didn't go to church that night thinking, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord tonight. I went to church that night because I wanted to make a good impression on my wife and on her family. And doggone it, God grabbed the hold of me. But here's the thing. What happened with me is the same thing that happens to everyone. You come to the garden seeking to capture Jesus. You come to the garden seeking to get something from him. The cosmic errand boy, right? But you leave the garden knowing who he really is. And that's what he does. Now listen, we got to be careful. Because, guys, this is an enormous reason why people walk away from the church. Why people walk away from Jesus entirely. Because they approach him and he doesn't give them what they want. They approach him as cosmic errand boy. They approach him seeking healing or, or, you know, to save a loved one or to heal a loved one, and it doesn't happen. And because we immerse ourselves in this teaching that God is, this, this errand boy just here to do our bidding, they say, forget this. This God isn't real. This God that you taught me about, he's not real. He didn't give me what I wanted. What's in it for me? And they walk away. And so we can't start with that teaching. That's why it's so dangerous to even start there. But, as many will testify, if you did start there, that's not a reason to turn away now. Because God will grab our hearts. 
Because look at what he does with the Roman cohort, right? They come to the garden seeking to capture Jesus, and they learn who the true Jesus really is. We see this in verses 6 and 7. It says, So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. This is absolutely incredible, and we miss it because the lovely English translators of our Bibles take liberty to make the Bible make sense to us in the English language. A little, a little spoiler for you, I don't know about all of the translations, but I know the New American Standard Bible, which is what I read from, it's what's always up on the screen. If you ever see italic words, if words are ever italicized in your New American Standard Version, that means that in the original language, those words are not in there. Do you see it? Do you see the italicized? Huh? In case you can't, so when he said to them, I am, and then he is italicized. Because in the Greek, he is not in there. The, the translators put that in there so that that sentence makes sense. We wouldn't want Jesus to be grammatically incorrect, right? So they put it in there so that it makes sense. But it's interesting because there's another passage in the Bible where the exact same Greek is used, and they do not. Look at this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> John 8, 58. Jesus is going back and forth with the Pharisees, and they, you know, he says some crazy stuff, like, I saw Satan falling from heaven. They're like, you're like 40 years old, man, 30 years old. Like, are you kidding me? You saw, like, you saw Abraham? He's like, guys, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they pick up stones, and they get ready to stone Jesus. Because what he had just said was the highest blasphemy that anyone could ever speak. I am. The same I am that introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, I'm that guy. That's me. No, I am he, right? I am. So why do we put that in this? Because what it should say is, so when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. When Jesus said to the Roman guards, with their shields and swords and spears and bows and torches, I am, they fell to the ground. You know, my kids really love Superbook. It's like the cartoon version of the Bible, right? And it drives me nuts. I've talked about this with some of you before, but, you know, they always have the Battle of Armageddon, and so they make it, like, real intense, and they're fighting good guys, bad guys, angels, demons. They're all fighting, and it's getting real intense, and it looks like the angels are going to lose, and they almost lose, and then Jesus steps in at the last minute and saves the day, right? Guys, I'm going to be real honest. Maybe my now, humble theology, so I'm not saying I'm right here, but everything I read about in the Bible, I think it's baloney. I think all that is baloney because I read about Jesus and Revelation tells us he's going to come down and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Now, I don't think that's a physical sword coming out of his mouth. I think that's representing the sword of the Spirit. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at how God created the world, when we look at Jesus here with the Roman cohort, he speaks one word, his name, I am, Yahweh. He speaks it and these guys fall to the ground. 
Guys, I think Revelation, I think it's going to be the biggest bummer. It's like that pay-per-view boxing match that you buy and one punch and it's done. And it's like, why the heck did I pay $59.99 for that? It lasted 10 seconds. That's what, that's what the final battle is going to be like because Jesus is going to come out of the clouds, say his name, and the enemy, done, gone, defeated. That's how powerful Jesus is. Doesn't it give you goosebumps? But guys, this is absolutely incredible, this story. You know, in basketball, when like some guy slam dunks over the other guy and he just like stands over him and he flexes, you know? This is Jesus flexing. Not really, but kind of, right? These Roman soldiers, I mean, come on, this is Rome. This is the strongest empire in the world, in the history of the world, right? They come here with swords and spears and clubs, and they say, hey, Jesus, you're going to have to come with us. Don't make us hurt you. And Jesus says, <laughs> I got one word for you. I am. And he says his name, and they fall to the ground. This teaches us something incredible about Jesus, y'all. The cross was 100% voluntary. 100% voluntary. Jesus climbed up on that cross himself because at any moment, Julius Caesar himself with all of the armies could have been before Jesus. And Jesus could have said this word, said his name, and they would have been on their knees bowing in worship to him whether they wanted to or not. Jesus chose the cross for you. Jesus chose the cross for you. At any moment, he could have walked away. At any moment, he could have said, no thanks. At any moment, he could have flexed, but he didn't. He chose the cross, and he stayed. Second thing this shows us is that there is nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we as a gospel house are doing the, a Bible in a year plan together. We're all reading the Bible together. Little P.S., if you would still like to join us, if you haven't yet, do it. You missed the first couple books, but there's still time. Get into it. Read it. P.S.S., if you got behind, if you've fallen behind, don't try to catch up. <laughs> You're going to kill yourself. Just join up where we're at right? Just skip ahead. Oh man, I missed all of Exodus. Who cares? Just pick up where we're at right now because there is nothing more powerful than when believers are reading the word together. And even though we can't be together physically lots of times, when we are reading the Bible together collectively as a body, that is the most powerful thing in the world. So please read with us. Um, I'll, I can send you the link. If you come see me after service, uh, I'll hook you up. But in our Bible in a year plan, just this week, just this week, we read the story of David and Goliath, right? What's David say to Goliath? He says, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, right? There is nothing more powerful than the name of the Lord. Jonathan and his armor bearer, we read that this week, same thing. Saul versus the Philistines, at least round one before Saul got a little high on his own horse. Saul versus the Philistines, it's the same thing. I come at you in the name of the Lord. Then probably my favorite, 1 Samuel 5, the ark of the Lord gets captured by the Philistines, right? 
And the Philistines say, we got the Ark of the Lord. And so they take it and they put it in their temple of their god, Dagon. And what happens? The next morning they walk in there, Dagon is bowing before the Ark of the Lord, busted in half, fallen on his face. Oh, doggone, our god fell over. Let's prop him back up. Ladies and gentlemen, we laugh. But can I ask you, how many times do you have to prop up your god? Not your uppercase G god but that lowercase g God that you're serving, how many times do you have to prop that up to convince yourself that that's worth running after, right? Because the big case G God, our God, he doesn't need propped up. So they prop their God up, they go back to their thing, come back the next morning, God just takes care of it. He cuts the dude's statue's head off, cuts his arms off, lays them out before the ark. And we learn this the truth about our response and it's worship it is 100% worship when we recognize the power of the name of Jesus when we recognize who he is I am Yahweh we fall down in worship now see I, I don't really I don't really care for miracle services I just don't like the wording of it because I feel like it sets up our minds to come to God approaching the wrong thing. It's, it's kind of that capturing God, right? We're going to have a miracle service. Let's come capture God together and make him do miracles for us, right? It's, it's like you get the magicians pulling rabbits out of their hats. Same kind of thing. I would much rather just have a worship service. Let's come and stand in awe of our God together. And let's watch him move. And just know that miracles are going to happen at every worship service we have. Because that's who our God is. Right? Not come seeking him doing something. It's not a parlor trick. But come expecting because we know who he is. Let's just approach God. Period. Nothing else added to it. Not approach God for. Just approach God. Because he is enough. And that's exactly what we see here, John 18, 6, the Roman soldiers, when Jesus pulls back the veil. Now, this is so cool because Jesus tells them this twice, right? He tells them once, I am, and they fall down. Then they ask him again, and he says it again, but it's like Jesus puts, like Moses had to put a veil over his face. It's like he puts that veil back up to be like, okay, I'm going to say it again, but I'm not going to make you fall down this time, Right? But this is their response when they see the real Jesus. When Jesus pulls back that veil and says, guys, this is who I really am. They fall to their knees. Can I ask you, what is your response? What's your response when you see Jesus? And can I probe a little here? If you see Jesus and you aren't falling can I suggest that maybe it's not the real Jesus? That maybe it's one of those Jesuses you came up with in your imagination? Because the real Jesus, when he pulls back that veil, when the Holy Spirit reveals to you who he really is, you don't have a choice about it. You know, it's like when the doctor does that thing on your knee and hits you with that little rubber hammer and your knee just kicks, that reflex. That's what it is. The reflex when God pulls back and shows you his glory is to fall 
on your face. Look at this, Revelation 5, one of the greatest chapters of worship in the Bible. Revelation 5 tells us, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then it goes even deeper in, Revel- or in chapter, or <laughs> verse 12. It says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Ladies and gentlemen, did you catch that? Every single thing, every created thing, not just in heaven. This isn't just angels, right? Not just on earth. It's not just people. Under the earth, too. Ladies and gentlemen, there is coming a day the book of Revelation promises us that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not an option. It doesn't say those who believe in him will shout these things. It says everybody, because there is nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. So why not bow voluntarily now? Why wait until it's not a choice, right? There will come a day when it won't be a choice. So we choose to step into his presence now and bow before the great I am. This is our response. This is the only response, y'all. All right, we're going to close now. There is nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. We do not approach Jesus to capture him. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not our cosmic errand boy. He is the I am. And when we approach him as the I am, everything bows before him. He doesn't change who he is to become what I need or to give me what I want. Jesus is all that I need. So today, that's what we want to do. We want to come before the great I am. And this is what is so crazy about God, guys. When I come before Jesus and I bow myself to him, when I surrender myself to him, when I kneel before him, everything that I carry with me into his presence bows as well. That's where we get our miracles from, right? When I walk into his presence and I bow, sickness bows with me, right? When I walk into his presence and I bow, relational issues bow with me, right? When I walk into his presence and I bow, cancer bows with me. Depression bows with me. All of your circumstances that you're fighting, everything 
bows before the King of kings and Lord of lords. They don't have a choice. That's how strong the name of Jesus is. So I want to ask you today, will you bow before him? Will you bow before him? Don't come to him seeking miracles. Don't come to him trying to capture him. Just come and bow before him. And I promise you he will move. We have seen God move mountains. Amen? Some of us have seen God move mountains. I mean, literally. Miracles. And if we come seeking him humbly, if we humbly come seeking him, we'll see him move him again. I've actually asked my brothers, Ethan and Jared, to come and pray. And, and you know, last week, uh, this message was still a whole week off, but I just felt God tell me so strongly to invite them to come this week and pray with us. Uh, you know, just, just to brag on them a little bit, they'll both give all the glory to God, but let me tell you, these two men are men of faith. God speaks to them, and they believe it's going to happen. So when God speaks to them, when they pray for you, they believe it's going to happen. And man, they've got so many testimonies of miracles that God has done through them. Incredible miracles. And so I asked if they would come today so that they could pray with some of us here. So that the I am, Jesus Christ, could move and show us how powerful his name is. Now, can I be real honest with you? I could be prideful, right? I could be like, hold on, God. I I started this church. Like, if there's going to be miracles, I should be the one praying for them, right? But that's not how God's body works. And this isn't my church, right? It's his. And so we're going to be the kind of church that calls out the gifts that we see in others. That says, I see a gift in you. And we want as a body to receive that gift. Look, I could be just as prideful and say, I don't need somebody to pray for me. I can sit in my seat and receive just fine. You're absolutely right. You can. God doesn't need people to pray for you to move. But there is nothing more humble than coming to someone else and acknowledging, I need help. I just, I need you to help me find God. I need you to help me... come into his presence. I've got a loved one that's far away and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, but maybe today is the day. Maybe you are the one. I've got this battle that I am facing and I don't see a way out of it. But I am coming to you, my brother, and asking for help. Will you pray with me? And guys, when we come humbly, God moves. Man, there's, there, God moves in humility like a fish in water, right? When we will humble ourselves before the Lord. So I'm going to invite my brothers up. They're going to stand kind of off here to the sides. The worship team's going to play through. We've got a couple songs ready, so if this takes a little while, uh, we're actually going to invite the kids to come back down and join us uh, for the kids to get prayer too if they need anything. But guys, I just want to open this up. If you need prayer, if you need the I am to show up in your life, Come and pray. Come and seek the Lord. And let's watch him move. Amen? Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.